Well, everybody, we're going to be in Jeremiah chapter 18. Jeremiah chapter 18, verses 1 through 6. My name is Tellus Fuller, and I'm really, really looking forward to sharing the word with you this morning. Jeremiah 18, verse 1 through 6. And it says this. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Arise and go down to the potter's house. And there I will meet you. I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house. And there he was working at his wheel. And the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand. And he reworked it into another vessel. As it seemed good for the potter to do. Verse 5. Then the word of the Lord came to me. O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares the Lord? Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. What I want to title this message in the next few moments we have together is shaping power. Shaping power. I want to talk about the clay, the pot, and the potter. Would you pray with me? Lord, We love you so much. God, would you open our eyes and our ears to see and hear all that you want to speak. We invite your presence, Holy Spirit, and we welcome you here. Knowing, Lord, that if you are not here, this is merely an encouraging word. But, Lord, if you are here, everything can change. Where two or more are gathered in your name, Lord, you promise to be in the middle of them. So we welcome you. Father, we love you so much, and more importantly, you love us. Holy Spirit, empower us to live, look, and love more like Jesus today than we did yesterday. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Pottery. Pottery. I may or may not have uh, taken a pottery class in order to preach this message. Um, I just want to be authentic in front of you guys. I just want to be real and honest. There uh, was a time when I took a pottery class. And um, as you take the pottery class, it's really interesting because what's important about a pottery class and what they teach you is that the placement and the pressure is really some of the most important things in order to form clay into pottery. As in, you have a wheel that uh, you control with a lever, and in that wheel, as soon as you push your foot down, you, the potter can control the speed at which the wheel spins, therefore creating force that actually forms the clay into the actual vessel that the potter wants. And I see that there is a placement and a pressure that if you don't place the clay in the center of the wheel... The force when the wheel starts spinning will actually not help form the clay, but it'll actually distort the clay. And the pressure that's inflicted upon the clay by the potter's hands is actually the main source that is used to shape the clay from a piece of clay into actually a piece of pottery. And I don't think that's too dissimilar to the way that God is actually shaping us. That there is a placement, a place that God wants you to be. And if we find ourselves sometimes out of place, not where we should be in God's purpose and will for our lives, the spinning or the craziness of the world and all that we go through doesn't actually help shape us, it distorts us. And oftentimes we feel the pressure of the world or maybe the pressure of God to shape you, make you into something. 
and we say, oh, that hurts. I don't like that. Get off. And we start to avoid the pressure, not realizing the pressure and the placement is actually the use that God uses to accomplish his purpose in our lives. There's, there's a pressure in your life. There's a, there's a placement in your life. Where are you placed? Where's the pressure that, that you feel? Us as believers, we are pretty well acquainted with God's saving power. We know that God can save. We've experienced God's salvation. We read about God's salvation with the Israelites or Jesus at the cross. And the beautiful thing about God's saving power is that it happens all of the sudden. That we have a moment where we are dead in our trespasses and all of the sudden we put our faith in Jesus by grace through faith, his righteousness imputed to us, and now we are his and we are saved, and we are bound to him, and he is bound to us. In a moment, we are transformed. And it's a a glorious thing that we see in the cross of Jesus Christ, that now in a moment, we are saved. But I don't want to just talk about saving power, coming to church, praying a prayer, doing the thing, getting the t-shirt, saying, okay, I'm going to be in heaven, I'll see you there, Jesus. Not just God's saving power, but God's shaping power. Saving power happens all at once. Shaping power happens over time. And there is a place in your life if you are saved and forgiven by the blood of Jesus, only he who can forgive your sins and redeem you, make you righteous towards him. You are saved in a moment, but you are shaped over a lifetime. Both are possible and both are true at the exact same time. That there is sanctification and shaping that God wants to do in your life. You are not done once you give your life to Jesus. You are just now getting started. And as we follow Jesus, we see in Jeremiah 18 that God is implanting himself, showing Jeremiah who he is to the Israelites and Judah and who they are to him. He says, go down to the house of the potter. Go to the potter's house. And I think it's beautiful because... Jeremiah, if you read, it's, it's a wild book, and he uses all these different analogies and stories and illustrations to preach the word of God to all these, the people of God. And as he's doing that, um, God asks him, go down to the potter's house, and there I will show you what you are to know. I don't think it's coincidence that with Jeremiah concerning God, that Jeremiah's faithful revelation came after his faithful response. Go down to the potter's house, and there I will show you. So many of us are saying, God, show me, and then I'll go. Show me what I'm supposed to do. Take all of the mystery away. I don't need, <laughs> we, we take out faith from our faith. God, don't make everything so clear that I don't have to trust you anymore. And we say, oh, I want a faithful God, show me, do it for me, and then I'll step out. When faith is the the evidence of things unseen, it's the substance of things hoped for, that I don't see it yet, and then I'm going to do it. That Jeremiah had faith. He believed God. A faithful revelation came after a faithful response. That he was responsive to what God was showing him to do. And therefore, we see that God relates himself to this potter. And Israel, or the people of God, you and me in this room, to the clay. Talking about the clay, the pot, and the potter. And as Jeremiah goes down, Jeremiah wasn't necessarily the most liked prophet of all time. He had to deal with a lot of injustice. He had to convict Israel and was 
commissioned to tell Israel about their sins and Judah about their sin, how he actually describes Israel and Judah as falling away from God in terms of adultery, that you have left your love, you have left your husband in pursuit of other idols and things and injustices and sins. And he uses this dramatic language that you were married to God and now you're cheating on him, Israel. People of God, you are leaving your husband. And we can take all of these drastic, really, really serious instructions from Jeremiah and say, man, that's the worst. Like that's, that's painful. And we can almost attribute that to us and say, well, this story is just about God being angry at Israel and Judah for doing bad things, being sinners, missing the mark. And we impute that to us even nowadays and say, God is just angry with me. He's just upset with me. He's just saying, what did you do? Be better. Like, what's wrong with you? You're cheating on me. I've been faithful. You've been unfaithful. What's the matter with you? But the beautiful thing about Jeremiah is in the 51 chapters of Jeremiah, repentance is mentioned over a hundred times. Over a hundred times. We see that Jeremiah and God through Jeremiah is not trying to say, how dare you think about what you did? You're the worst. Get out of my sight. I don't want anything to do with you anymore. He's saying, come back home. Not get away with me, but come back to me. Not what are you thinking, but would you remember me? What you think about me, repentance, the word we see in scripture is just a simple of changing your mind. That I was going this way and now I'm going this way. By the grace of God, I understand the purpose of God in my life. And I choose not to walk by my own wisdom, by my own understanding, but now by his. I give my life, I repent, I turn away from me and turn towards him. Repentance is what Jeremiah wants the Israelites to understand. The clay. The clay, the, the clay, the pot, and the potter, a shaping power that God wants to do inside of our lives. And it's interesting, when you think about the clay, the clay, the clay's job is not to form itself. The clay's job is to be formed. And a lot of us have issues because we are trying to form ourselves. And we're not letting God form us. We sometimes read ourselves into the wrong person in the Bible. You ever do this? Like you read the Bible and then you're like, oh yeah, no, I'm, 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 I'm John. Like I'm the disciple whom Jesus loved. But you're really Zacchaeus, right? <laughs> and, and we have like this image in our mind of like who we are in the scriptures. And here it's so easy to be like, well, who am I in this story? Let me tell you, you are not the potter. You're the clay. You and me, the people of Israel, the people of God are the clay. We are the ones that God is shaping. He is making us something new. And oftentimes we resist the shaping of God because it goes against what we want to shape in ourselves. And because we think this isn't my plan for my life, we resist God's plan for our lives. The clay doesn't form itself. The clay is merely there to be formed. How difficult is it for God to shape you? How much work and how much energy, how many people, how many church services does God have to bring you to and bring you through in order to shape you? How difficult is it for God to mold you into his image? Because here's the thing, it's not just his saving power. We're saved, praise God, hallelujah. I am so, so happy. And he is trying to shape you into the image of Christ for the rest of your life. How difficult is it for God to shape you? 
How much resistance are you giving to God when he's trying to make you into the image of his son? We see that there is a spoiled piece of clay. What a spoiled piece of clay looks like is, is a clay that's filled with rocks, that's, that's not easily moldable, that's hard and dry. Where are the rocky parts of your life where God has to keep taking things out of you because they're not meant to be in you for the pot that he's trying to produce you into being? What are the dry parts of your life where you have not watered the thing that God has called you to water, that you have not kept sensitive to the Holy Spirit, and you have let your conscience be seared over the course of time, and now it's hard for God to even get a word to you? What are the parts in your life where it's so difficult for God to shape you because you've been doing the same thing the same way for the same years, and now when God tries to introduce something new in your life, we're resistant to it because we've grown hard? How difficult is it for God to shape you? Because God wants to shape you. He he wants to do something in your life. The question is, how easy is it for God to work on you? And the thing about the clay is that the clay is very unimpressive. Clay is dirt. It's not very impressive. (laughs) But pottery is incredible. Clay is unimpressive. And pottery is incredible. What's the difference? You realize that over the course of time, me in and of myself, I am not worth much unless God does a work inside of me. And I want to be sensitive because I'm not ignorant to think that there's some people in this room or watching online where that hit a really sore spot for you. You're unimpressive. You're not that great. There's not a lot to us. And let me tell you something. This is not a message of, man, you're the worst. This is bad. This is, you can't believe what is going on in your life. This is not a message to make us feel inadequate. This is a message to say that God had an opportunity to throw out the clay and he didn't. That there was a spoiled piece of clay in the potter's hand. And it was not good And you know what he did instead of throwing out the clay? He reshaped it. I don't know where you're at today. I don't know if you feel unimpressive. I'm not sure if you feel unequipped or unempowered or you feel like there's not a lot going for you. Let me encourage you that there is a God who will not throw you out, but he will reshape you. He's invested. That your God is committed to reshaping you into the image of his son. And when we think about the clay, the, the beauty of the clay, sorry, the beauty of the pottery does not speak to the greatness of the clay. It speaks to the greatness of the potter. The beauty of the pottery does not evidence the greatness of clay. It evidences the greatness of the potter. That you are something beautiful because God has now worked on you. How silly would it be to praise the clay for being formed into a vase? Man, good job. You did it on yourself. And and we do this sometimes. We praise each other. We praise ourselves for getting it out of the mud, for going to school, for being the first in our family, for making so much money, for living in the neighborhood, for having the degrees behind our name. We praise ourselves for all of these things when in all actuality, it's God working on the inside of you that shaped you into the pot that you are today. And all of a sudden, we face this temptation of, am I going to praise the clay for being pottery, or am I going to praise 
the potter. God can make you something beautiful. The older I get, the more I realize that the object is not as impressive as the hand in which the object is in. Right? Like, we see in the story that the clay is not as impressive as the hand that the clay is in, the potter. That a football is not as impressive as the hand that it's in that if you put it in Tom Brady's hand. Then all of a sudden, millions of people are going to watch him beat the Washington football team today. (laughs) And I'm a Washington football team fan. I love the team and it hurts. You guys know what I'm talking about. And we're all going to watch that Tom Brady is going to throw seven touchdowns today. (laughs) Oh, But we're all going to watch. Why? Because the object, the football, is not as impressive as Tom Brady's hands. The the paintbrush is not all that impressive unless you put it in Michelangelo's hands. The hammer, it's not impressive unless you see it in Thor's hands. (laughs) No? Marvel? Nothing? Okay, fine. I like Marvel. Whatever. No, forget. No, it's too late. You, you missed your chance. That was a moment. I had a moment with you, and you guys just left me out there in public. It's embarrassing. Anyway. <laughs> oh, I love y'all so much. Okay, it's not as impressive as the hands it's in, right? A baseball bat, a piece of wood is not impressive in my hands. You put it in Babe Ruth's hands, I'm going to watch highlights day after day. You see a base right here, and Darian would kill me if I touched it. But you see a base, it's not impressive in my hands, but it's impressive in Darian's hands. Why? Because the object is not as impressive as whose hands it's in. Let me tell you something. A single mom. You might not feel like it's that impressive until you realize whose hands you're in. A high school degree. You might not feel like it's that impressive until you realize whose hands you're in. Bad financial habits. You're just trying to figure it out. You don't know how to handle money, but you realize that it's important and you're trying to steward it well and give it to God. You real, I don't know what to do, but once you realize whose hands it's in, whose hands are you in? Are you in your hands or are you in God's? Who is shaping the object? The object is not nearly as impressive as whose hands the object is in. In the pot. The pot. It's so challenging and convicting that we see in verse 4, it was spoiled in the potter's hand, and he reworked it into another vessel as it seemed good for the clay to do. Oh, no. As it seemed good for the potter to do as it seemed good for the potter to do. As it seemed good for the, for the potter to do. Not to the clay's standard, but to the potter's standard. Not what the clay wanted the clay to be, but what the potter wanted the clay to be. Not what I thought I would be and how, how, what age I thought I would be married at, but when did God want me to... Not the neighborhood that I thought I was going to live in or the job that I thought that I would have by this age or the time that I thought that I would retire or the amount of money or degrees or fame or followers that I thought I would have, but as it seemed good for the, for the potter to do. In order for us to be all that God has called us to be, we have to stop being all that we called ourselves to be. 
We cannot continue to follow Jesus in a way where we are calling ourselves into our own purpose. As it seemed good for the potter to do. As it seemed good for the, for the potter to do. The Israelites, they were supposed to be a great nation. They were supposed to example the glory of God. They were supposed to be a witness of Yahweh in the whole earth. That, that was their job. God had a testimony prepared for them. And we see time and time and time again that the Israelites and Judah, they had a difficulty following Jesus. They kept missing the mark. They kept putting other gods before him. They kept falling into temptation, falling away from God. And they kept calling themselves all that they wanted to be instead of all that God had called them to be. God had a a significant and an intentional purpose for the people of Israel. I don't know when the last time you heard this was, but God has a significant and intentional purpose for your life. That God has a plan for you. He wants to shape you into something. God wants to make you into something. There is a healthy marriage in the future for you. There doesn't have to be debt in your future. God has a, a plan and a purpose for your life. The family struggles and the family that you've always grown up in is the, thing, is the family that you believe that you're destined to have. No, God has a, has a plan and a purpose for you. He's shaping you. And oftentimes, the world will convince you, encourage you, empower you to shape yourself. Be whoever you want to be. Do whatever you want to do. If it makes you happy, do it. If you feel it, do it. Follow your heart. Do, and by the way, read Jeremiah chapter literally right before the 17. It is sinful to follow your heart. It says that the heart is deceitfully wicked. That's my heart. That I can't trust my heart unless I've been given a new heart by God, which is actually just his heart. The world will call you to do whatever you want to do, to, to be, to call yourself into something great. But let me encourage you that my scripture says, and I don't want you to take offense to this, but God doesn't care what you called yourself to be. He has a better purpose and a better plan for you. And I don't want you to be discouraged by that. I don't want you to take that as mean or unkind. God is just very, very good. And he has a really, really good plan for your life. In order for us to be all that God has called us to be, we have to surrender being what we've called ourselves to be. Hmm. It's beautiful that God is in control. He's, he's making a pot. He's doing something. And throughout the story, we realize that God is artistic. That he's making us beautiful. He's making clay into a pot. It's beautiful. And we see the glory of God in the pot that he shaped it into something. And that's amazing. And we also see that God is not just artistic, but he's also effective. He's effective that now the pot isn't just beautiful, but it's useful. That you in God's hands, it's, it's really easy to think that I, God wants me to have an attractive, beautiful, prospering life. That's great. He does. I love that for you. And God wants you to be useful to his kingdom. And you will be far more effective in God's plan than you are in yours. And when God shapes you over the course of time, shows you his shaping power, what that means is that God is not just making you more beautiful. He's making you more useful. That there is more that you can do in God's hands and in his kingdom than you can do by yourself. It says this, Ephesians 2, 10. 
For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we might walk in them. We're his workmanship. And sometimes I think about how much it might break God's heart when we resent the work that he made us to be. You know, that, that some of us don't like ourselves and we put that to God and God, I can only imagine, is looking down and saying, but I, but I made you. No, I didn't, make, I didn't make a mistake. Like, you're my workmanship. No, you... No, no, I have a plan for you. Like, th- this is all going according to plan. And oftentimes, we, we, we don't like what God has made us to be, so we try and make ourselves something else. And I imagine God's heart looking down and saying, but you're my workmanship. But, but I like you. <laughs> but I like what I made. And we get so hurt because... What we do oftentimes is that we have been made um, a pot, but then Sally has been made a vase, and then we get jealous because we're not the vase, right? That, that I'm, I'm a chair, but then Michael's a table, and so I look at Michael and I say, well, I wanted to, I wanted to be a table, God. And some of us, like, you, you know I'm not talking about just, like, hardware and pottery, right? <laughs> God, I wanted to be married by this age, but they are... God, but my kids are not doing as well as theirs. But I'm, but like my bank account is not reflecting how hard I work. And, and we have this, this comparison thing where we look to, from the side to the side and we, we, we start making ourselves into something because we're dissatisfied with God's workmanship. And I can just only imagine that it's breaking God's heart because he said, I, I made you on purpose. Like, I did that on purpose. Like, the, the personality, the qualities, the habits, the, the passions, the passion, like, all of that, I did that on purpose. I don't know if you've heard this recently, but you are beautifully and wonderfully made. You are beautifully and wonderfully made. Not just because you are seemingly great on the outside and not just because you are very effective for God's kingdom, but you are beautifully and wonderfully made. Why? Because we are made in the image of God. You have an inherent value that cannot be gained or lost by your productivity. You are beautifully and wonderfully made. And sometimes we resent the workmanship that God created because we thought that he should have made something else. The pot. Sometimes when we need to be all that God has called us to be, we have to stop being all that we've called ourselves to be. I love that God is committed to shaping us into the image that he designed, not just the image that we want. And we see in the scriptures that God has the authority as the potter, he's in control. He gets to decide, as it seems good for the potter to do, he gets to decide what the clay gets to be. He has authority. 
We see that he's good at his job, that he has ability, that he is a good potter. He knows what he's doing. He's not going to make a mistake. He has the authority and the ability. But one place where this story actually lacks is here, is that the potter has the ability and the authority in this story. But he does not have the authorship of the clay. And our Father in heaven has the ability to shape you, the authority to shape you, and not only that, but he is the author of you. The potter in this story had to go and find the clay. The potter in my story made the clay. The potter in your story made the clay, which means that he knows what to do with the clay, which means he knows how the clay works and what it should need and what it doesn't need. That there is an ability, an authority, and an authorship that you have towards your God that he has in shaping you into the image of his son. That there is a shaping power that goes into his ability, his authority, and his authorship of your life. God's the author of you. He is, he is the originator of you. And some of us do have issues because we want all of God's ability with none of his authority. <laughs> do it, God, but I don't want to sacrifice. Do it, God, but I don't want to be generous beyond my means. Do it, God, but I don't want to give up my weekends. Do it, God, but I don't want to give up my nights. Do it, God, but I don't want to give up, give up. Give. And we, sometimes we get in issues and temptations and struggles because we want a lot of God's ability with none of his authority. When it comes to the clay, it comes to the pot, we see that God has all authority, all ability, and all authorship of what he creates you to be. And lastly, the pot, or the potter. The potter. John chapter 21, verse 15 through 17, it says this. And when they had finished breakfast... Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, then tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he had said to him third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. I'm so encouraged that God's commitment to us is stronger than our commitment to him. The potter had every right to throw away the clay. See, this is, this is, this is busted. It's broken. It has no use to me. I don't need it. I'm going to get rid of it. And yet he doesn't. And here in John 21, we see the aftermath of Peter's greatest failure. That Jesus told Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And then I'm going to be crucified, delivered up to the religious leaders, and I'm going to die. And Peter said, Lord, I would never do that. I love you. You've made me what I wasn't before. I'm, I'm, I'm new. Who, who, who I always was doesn't have to be who I'll always be. I've experienced your shaping power. I'm different. I would never do that. 
And all of a sudden, Peter gets in a moment where he denies Jesus once. He denies Jesus twice. He denies Jesus three times. He runs away for fear of the Jews. He's terrified. Jesus is crucified. No one knows what to do. They're, they're, they're running for their lives. And Peter and John, and they go back to fishing because they realize they're like, it's, it's over. It's over. I, I did the thing. I messed up. I failed him. I said I wouldn't, and then I did. And I thought I meant it, but I still couldn't do it. I failed. And the Israelites, they're saying, man, we saw the exodus. Like, I saw it. Like, my mom told me stories about the sea parting. Like, I, I know. Like, I saw the manna. Like, the water came from the rock. Like, I know. And then all of a sudden, they find themselves going to other gods and abandoning their love. And they're like, oh my gosh, I'm in the place where I never thought I'd be. I failed. Like, I, I lost it. Like, he's so upset with me. And we see Jesus approach Peter. And he, what he doesn't come to him and say is, how dare you? Where were you when I needed you? I thought we were friends. Where did you go? You coward. He goes to Peter and he says, do you love me, Peter? He says, yeah, I love you. He says, and feed my sheep. Do you love me, Peter? Yes, 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 I love you. And feed my lambs. Do you love me, Peter? And then Peter realizes. Peter denied Jesus not once, not twice, but three times. And so what does Jesus do? Jesus restores Peter not once, not twice, but three times. And you see what Jesus does here is Jesus is shaping Peter. He is redeeming the thought of, I have committed my greatest failure and there's no coming back. I don't know what to do with myself anymore. I failed. He's mad at me. He doesn't want me anymore. And now worse, Peter thought he's dead. And Jesus is showing Peter his shaping power. I'm not sure where you're at today. I don't know if you feel like you're in the greatest failure of your life, where you feel like marred and spoiled clay that God would have nothing that he wants to do with, and God might as well throw me away. But can I encourage you with something that God is more committed to you than you are to him? God had an opportunity to throw you away, and he didn't. He chose to reshape you. He chose to show you a shaping power. He chose to continue with you. He chose to be patient with you and long-suffering. Why? Because God had a purpose and a plan for the clay's life. And he says, I know what you're going to do, and yet I still chose you. He said to Jeremiah, the first chapter, before you were born, I appointed you as prophet of the nations. Before you were born, God appointed you as a, as, as a piece of pottery that was supposed to display his glory. You think that one failure will disrupt you and disqualify you? By no means. We see that Jesus is by no means would that disqualify you. I'm the God who comes back to you time and time and time again. And just like the people of Israel and Judah, he's saying, would you repent? Uh, repent. Repent. It's not about condemnation. Would you come back to your first love? Because your first love never left you. He's the good potter. You're the clay. And he's shaping you into what he's always meant for you to be. The clay. The pot. The potter. Would you pray with me?
Jesus, we love you so much. And Lord, we recognize our relationship to you. That I'm not the potter, you are. I feel like there's some people in this room who feel an urge to give up all that they've called themselves to be so that they can embrace who God has called them to be. And we don't have time, so I just want to pray for you. I know Holy Spirit is working, so I don't even need you to raise your hand. God, would you shape us? Lord, give us the courage to let go of calling ourselves and to embrace your shaping power. God, that you are working on purpose and for a purpose. And Lord, we're believing that your plan is better than ours. God, would we be a church that doesn't just experience your saving power, but your shaping power? God, we submit ourselves to you to be shaped, formed, molded into the image of your son.